You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 10 o'clock. It's been a blessing in my life from the Lord to be able to travel internationally fairly often, whether to be leading mission trips or speaking at pastor's conferences or speaking at missionary conferences around the world really the last 30 years. And a fascinating thing about traveling is comparing the culture of other nations with the nation I grew up in here, here in the States. It's very interesting to kind of see the, the variances there. And sometimes it's not just a variance. Sometimes it's like night and day difference. In the U.S., we eat dinner about 6 o'clock, 5.45, maybe 6.15, you know, in the Middle East and in parts of, of Europe, they begin dinner at 8 o'clock, and they'll eat until about 10 o'clock, and, that, and 10 o'clock might even be an early evening for them. They enjoy conversations around dinner. You know, we, the whole fast food thing, that's, that's us. Like, that's American. Like, well, let's, let's, how fast can we eat? How quickly can we throw that down? And then let's get on to the next thing. But in parts of the Middle East, all Middle East, and certainly in a lot of Europe, it is, dinner is, is leisure, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock, which just sounds like, heartburn waiting to happen for someone like me to eat that late at, at, at nighttime. Uh, in, in the U.S., we teach our kids to make good eye contact when, when they're talking, especially with adults. You, you look an adult in the eye and, and you speak to them, you talk to them. In Africa, it's the exact opposite. They teach their kids not to make direct eye contact with an adult. That would be a disrespectful thing to do. Uh, if, in, in the U.S., if a building or a house or a structure is 100 years old, we say, man, that's an old building like that. That's, that's historic because it's 100 years old. In Europe, a 100-year-old building is, is a baby. It's a newbie. Like, it's just getting started. And so what we would call old or, or antique or historic here in the States, they would say that that is nothing in other parts of the world. In the U.S., being on time and being punctual is really important. No other country is like that, by the way. I've realized we're traveling around. No one else really cares what time it is. They don't wear watches. When they say 6 o'clock dinner, it might start at 6.30, maybe 7, maybe 7.30, whenever people... It's the same with church. Some of you Highlanders would fit in really well to church <laughs> in other countries because their, quote, 10 o'clock services over there, you know, people might start gathering at 10.15. They might start some music at 10.40. So maybe some of y'all are in the wrong country. God has just put y'all in, in, in a funny place, funny time. We, we grow up in a culture with a set of assumptions, a set of ideologies, a, a set of perspectives. And so if you grew up in the U.S., we kinda, our culture has its own ideologies, its own perspectives, its own assumptions. If you grew up in another country, that nation had its own set, its culture, its own set of ideologies, its own set of, of perspectives and assumptions. And so when you step into a different culture, it's whiplash. It's, it's jarring, and sometimes it can feel like you're upside down because you have walked from one culture into another culture, and really the book of Colossians is going to show us the same thing. There is a night and day difference between being a, a non-Christian, that non-Christian life and that non-Christian culture, and a Christian life and a Christian culture, an understanding of the kingdom culture. So let me just fire this salvo for us to begin this morning. There should be a difference between a non-Christian life and a Christian life. There is a difference in which the culture we find ourselves in because as a believer, you receive Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you and everything changes. It should transform your understanding. It should transform your worldview. It should transform your thinking, your actions, your speech, your spending. 
everything changes. You realize though, Christian, that your citizenship is in heaven. Now your residence might be here for right now, but Christian, your citizenship is actually in the kingdom of God. So as a result, Christian, because you're new in Christ, we're living in this new culture. It's the kingdom culture. And it impacts how we see the culture around us of which we were a part of previously before Christ. So if you don't mind going to your copy of God's word, let's go to Colossians. We're gonna begin chapter three today. Colossians chapter three, Colossians in the New Testament, 12 books into the New Testament is where we've been for the majority of this summer. Let's go to Colossians three because Colossians three is, is learning how to live kingdom down, not culture up. The Bible uses language calling us pilgrims, calling believers sojourners. In other words, we're just kind of making a road trip through this world to ultimately get home with, with the capital H. And this really changes how we live our lives because once we met Jesus, or maybe some of you today will meet Jesus even today, everything completely changes. The culture in which we live, it truly completely turns upside down. God puts it this way, verse one of chapter three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are Above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Don't miss the very first word of verse one, if. It starts off with an if. A fast reminder that you can be a Christian raised to new life, or you're a non-Christian still living in the old dead life. An important qualifying word that Paul starts with in chapter three, if, if you have been. If you have been raised with Christ, there will be some implications for that church. There will be some applications for that. What is the application? What is the implication? If, then seek the things that are where? Above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind. So if that's true of you today, that you have been raised up with Christ, you are in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus. If those things are true, then set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. There's two big concepts here. In fact, we see these concepts all throughout the New Testament, above and below, here and there, heaven and earth. We see those concepts right here. We see the word above in verse one and verse two. That is where Christ is. We see the word below, verse two. That means here on earth. Or we see the, the concept of below, verse two on earth. And Paul's reminding us that Jesus lived on earth. He he died, he was raised again, he was ascended back into heaven. And Highland family, it's probably a good thing for me to say right now, remind you that Jesus is right now alive and well and is seated in the kingdom at the right hand of God. That is a seat of prominence, that is a seat of preeminence. We're on earth. We are, if you will, scripturally on the below. Jesus is above, we are below. But since Christ is above, look at verse one, we should seek the things above. We should, verse two, see, see, excuse me, set our minds on the things that are above. So we need to peer into the kingdom and see things the way that Jesus sees things. Verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When you became a Christian, the old is dead. The old 
is gone. And you changed at the deepest, most fundamental level that there is. You're dead to your old way of life. And now this new life that you have, this new life is hidden with Christ in God. So your new life is hidden in Christ, which means your life now, Christian, is wrapped up in Jesus. It's tucked away in Christ. It is only found in Christ. Your life now has Christ out front and you are hidden behind him. It's a picture of our lives being in Christ. Verse four. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I don't know if you're much of a write-in-your-Bible type of person, but this would be a great thing to underline in your Bible because I don't think we get this often in Christianity here in the West. When Christ, who is your life? I would underline those words in your Bible. Christ, who is your your life. This is the part of Christianity I'm not real sure we completely get, or at least it doesn't seem to. Jesus isn't just a part of your life. He's not just one more thing added to your life. Christian, Jesus is your life. And he has to be your only life because we've already determined in verse three that you've died. Into verse four, we will appear with him in glory. That, that's the end when, when, when God is done and all of his work is ultimately completed. So what Paul is talking about here is he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this is a Christian approach to kingdom culture. This brand new culture in which we now live as believers in Christ. There's a lot I could say on this. Let me give you just three brief summations, if you will, of a couple of these concepts. So you note takers, you can write these things down. There's the kingdom of God. That's the above. And then there's the cultures of this earth. That is Below. So if you're looking for a really good Bible study to do on your own, just go from the New Testament beginning in the book of Matthew, go to the book of Revelation and underline every time it says the word above and below or here and there or heaven and earth. It is a major theme of the New Testament. There's the kingdom of God above and the cultures of this earth. We'll see that several times even in this passage. Here, there, above, below, heaven, earth. Paul is showing us these two cultures, these two kingdoms, and they are the exact opposite. Because of that, Christian, because we live in a kingdom that is above and our minds and our hearts should be set on the kingdom that is above, we are to live like, like people who, who live in the kingdom. We live differently. We, we behave differently. We think differently than the world's thinking, the world's behavior, the world's culture. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The kingdom of God begins not the moment you die, but the moment you receive Jesus. This is really important because I'm afraid someone has messed up the church here in the West and it may be my fault. For some reason, we have gotten to our heads that eternal life begins when we die and go to heaven. That is not true theologically. In fact, that is false theologically. What is true theologically? When you believed upon Christ, you received eternal life then. You're a part of the kingdom of God then. You're not waiting someday to breathe your last for your heart to stop so you can finally enter into the kingdom of God. As a believer, you are already in the kingdom of God. You are already a part of, of heaven. You're already a part of eternal life, which gives this implication, really. Listen, Highland, we should live like heaven people now. We should live as heaven people right now. We should live as kingdom of God people Right now, I think there's just so many, too many old songs that talked about the by and by and, and the sweet up, up yonder somewhere. And we kind of keep thinking that eternal life is about then. But eternal life, Christian, is about now. 
We can live like heaven people. We should like live like heaven people now. We should live in the kingdom now because we are, listen Christian, we are in the kingdom culture now. So Christian, third point, we don't live culture up. We live kingdom down. But what I'm trying to say is we're not going to, nor would we want to, bring this culture of Waco, this culture of our nation, this culture of the world up into the kingdom of God. We want to bring the culture of the kingdom of God to intersect Waco and, and, and our nation and the world. This is what Jesus prayed, right? In Matthew chapter six, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth, the below, just as it is in the above, just as it is in heaven. We want to bring as, as kingdom people, as heaven people, the kingdom of God, the culture of the kingdom of God to earth. So Paul begins to tell us what it looks like to live in the kingdom culture here in this present culture, verses five through six. And, and no surprise here, Paul does not mince his words. Verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, verse six, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So go back to verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. So there it is again, right? Above, below, here, there, heaven, earth. Put what, what is in you that is earthly, the things that are down here, the things that are cultural, the, the things that are lesser than God, the things that are base. Uh, really, in the original language, this word could also translate animalistic. Like anything that's inside of you that, that doesn't think, it just acts. Anything inside of you that, that has zero self-control. Put those things to death. And then Paul lists those things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these five things, what's coming? Look at verse six. The wrath of God is coming. So let's look at these five words. In fact, I think I underlined them on the screen. Sexual immorality, first of all. This is all kinds of sexual sin. This is sexual intimacy and all sexual activity outside of the covenant relationship of a husband, male, and a wife, female. But pornography, homosexuality, affairs, infidelity. Paul says, put it to death. It's not the life of those in the kingdom. Impurity. This is anything that this word would actually translate dirty or, or gross. Anything that is, that is dirty, any speech or actions or thoughts that are, that are just gross in the sight of God. Anything less than the purity of God. Paul says here, put it to death. Uh, that's not the life of one whose, whose life is hidden in Christ. Third word he uses is passion. This is like out of control desire. It's a good thing to be passionate, but this is passion in the wrong direction. This is passion that does not honor God, but honors the flesh, honors your flesh. Paul says here, put it to death. Evil desires. These are, are longings or, or cravings or, or appetites or fantasies or addictions or compulsions or longings that are ungodly. And these things harm you. These things harm others. These things harm your testimony. These things harm your relationship with your family, with your friends, with the community. It harms your relationship with God and covetousness. This is wanting what is not yours. It's sentences in our mind like, I wish I had what they had. I wish I had their experience. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their money. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their looks. I wish I had kids like theirs. 
They get to do X, Y, and Z. I never get to do that. And let's be honest, marketing on TV and, and ads on the internet leverage that nature of, of being covetous people. Because every ad you watch this afternoon, any marketing tool you see this afternoon, what it's gonna say is they have that or they own that or they enjoy that. Wouldn't you like to enjoy it too? Wouldn't you like to have it too? Wouldn't you like to possess it too? And you can for $9.99. Really the, the very nature of marketing and advertising in our country presses into our jealousies. I want what they have. And Paul says it's idolatry. Look at that word there in verse five. It's idolatry. I think he's really talking about all five of those things. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping anyone or anything outside of God. But God's call on us is to live this kingdom life. Now, not to live in the present culture life in which we find ourselves. How many of you would say that sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness pretty much explains America? I mean, is that not a picture of our culture? Is that not what we live in every day? All of these words, all of these philosophies? So what is the answer? He gives us great encouragement at the beginning of verse five. Put it to death. Kill it. How many of us just try to wound our sin? Or put our sin on a leash? Or, or cage our sin? Paul says right here, I, I want you to kill that sin, to kill, to put it away completely and forever, that immorality, that jealousy, that passion, those, those evil desires, put all of those things away forever. For you note takers, you can write this down. Whatever it is that is in the process of killing your relationship with God, you've got to put that to death. You've got to put it down. And, and don't play with it. Don't put it on a leash. Don't try to ignore it. You kill it. What we don't want to do is keep our sin alive, even in the corner because either you'll go back to that sin or that sin will come back to you. The problem is, and we know this, sin feels good. That's why we keep going back to it. That's why it's so popular. It's why we return, because we like, we like being angry. Uh, we, we like crossing the line with, with girlfriend or boyfriend. We like gossiping about people. Sometimes it just feels good. I, I, we like being drunk. We like to be hurtful with our words. Why is that? Because we have not put sin to death. Put it to death. Why? Well, here's a little motivation. Verse 6, the wrath of God is coming. It's not, it's not here yet. It's like people playing on a train track. And, and it's a lot of fun on the train track until the train comes, and then there's a problem. The world does not believe that God is actually going to do something about all of these sins. So again, note takers, God is not negligent. He's patient. So stick with the analogy here. God is giving time for everyone to get off the train tracks before the train comes. God is coming. What the word is saying is what you're doing right now, are you planning on doing that in the kingdom of God? Are you planning on doing that in heaven? If you're not going to be doing that in the kingdom of God, then stop. Then stop, because here's the point. Those in Christ, listen, so important, we're already in the kingdom. Again, we need to live like kingdom people now. Live like heaven people now. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 7 through, through 10. In these, meaning those five things, in these you too once walked. So here's our testimony right, right now. We sang about our testimony earlier. This is who we once were. 
but, but now we're in Christ. And these you two once walked when you were living in them, in those five things. But now there's the transition, there's the testimony, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and now have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, again, you can write this down, maybe in the back of your Bible. Don't be like you, be like Jesus. Don't get up every morning and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've got to be true to me. That'll get you in trouble every time. And our culture says, you be true to you. In fact, every Disney movie says, you be true to you. But really what God's word is coming to us to say, no, no, don't wake up every morning, look in the mirror and say, I've got to be true to you. Look to Jesus every day and say, Jesus, I've got to be true to you today. I want to be like you today. I want to increasingly be more and more like my savior, Jesus Christ. So here's how relationships happen on earth and the culture below it's these words right here, anger. I'll underline these as well on the screen for you. Anger. This is when you're frustrated. You're annoyed. You're grumpy. You're agitated with others. You're angry because they hurt you. You're angry because they offended you. Then it moves to wrath. I'm going to pay someone back for that. I want someone to feel as bad as I do. I want to get even. I want to get him back. I want to get her back. Then it moves to malice. I'm not going to sit here anymore. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to say something. I'm going to come up with, up with a plan. Or what am I going to say? I'm going to come up with a plan on how I can get them back. Slander. I'm going to attack their character. I'm going to speak ill of others. And this is when we start to, start to gossip. This is where we invite other people in who aren't a part of the problem. But now once we've invited the, the men, they are a part of the problem. Because we love and slandering, we love to build an army. So we pull other people in on the slander. Then obscene talk, we curse them or curse at them or curse about them. We speak vile things to them or vile things about them. Then it moves to, to verse nine, lying, where you're just making stuff up now. That's not even exactly what they said, but in your mind, that's what they said. That's not even what they did, but in your mind, that's what they did. You begin to rewrite history. And this pretty much describes, have you noticed, our entire social media world. This, this, this describes us politically and socially and morally and spiritually. I'm angry. I'm wrathful. I'm going to speak about others. I have malice in my heart. I'm going to say obscene things now. I'm going to lie about these things. When you get into the kingdom of God, and listen, Christian, I hope you hear me say this 10 times today, you are in the kingdom of God. We don't do relationships like this. You know how many lies you're going to tell in heaven? Zero. So live like heaven people now. You know how many people you're going to gossip about in heaven? Zero. You know how many people you're going to be bitter at in heaven and plot to hurt in heaven? Zero. Do you know where your citizenship is right now? Heaven. It's heaven right now. So our task, verse 10, is to put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. So, so your, 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 your old self was all about emotion, but our task now is to, to stay loyal, to make the decision. I'm going to stay loyal to my king, loyal to the kingdom. I'm not going to get sucked into this present corrupt culture. So he says, put on the new self. Your old self, what was it driven by? Emotions and flesh. You know your new self is driven by? A will. 
just as God has a will because now you've been renewed in the knowledge after the image of your creator. So your new self has, has this will, a will that's being renewed. Now it's true that you still have emotions, Christian. It's, it's true that, that, that you, you have feelings about things, but those emotions would normally drive you in the old self. But now it's choices that you make in the new self. It's the will that's holding the steering wheel, if you will, and saying, okay, I know how you feel today, but what should you say now that you're a kingdom person? I know how you feel today, but, but how should you respond now that you're a person in the kingdom? I, I know that we still have emotions and passions, but now they're directed, listen church, by our citizenship in heaven. Our, our passions are now, are now controlled by the Holy Spirit of God who works mightily within us. And so when you meet Jesus, literally, you've got to think of yourself as a different person, a different person, joining a different nation, serving a different king. And as a result, you will live in a different kingdom, not the culture of below, but the culture of above, the kingdom of God. Lazarus was a close friend of, of Jesus. You probably know the story. Uh, Jesus was in, in Jerusalem speaking, performing miracles, helping people. Disciples come and say, Jesus, one of your best friends on earth, Lazarus, is, is dying. Jesus stays in Jerusalem for two more days, even though Lazarus is in Bethany, about a mile and a half east of Jerusalem. He could have gotten there very quickly. Then the word comes that that Lazarus has died. And so Jesus makes his way to Bethany and there is Martha, the sister of Lazarus, the sister of the deceased at the city gate. The Bible doesn't say this, but in my mind's eye, her arms were crossed and her foot was tapping because she said, had you been here, this would not have happened. She was angry. She was, she was grieving. And Jesus says to her with great comforting words, you will see your brother Again, that does not satisfy Martha because she says, oh, I know, I know about the resurrection. And then Jesus stands straight and he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And anyone who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And he walks over to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes walking out of that tomb with his grave clothes still on. The King James Version says, he stinketh. You can go look it up. I went to camp this past week. I walked into the boys' side of the cabin. It stinketh as, as well. Because he walked out in, 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 in grave clothes. I mean, something supernatural had happened to Lazarus. He was dead and now he is alive. Something wondrous, something miraculous, something supernatural had happened to him. And yet he was still in his old grave clothes. I'm telling you, Christian, something miraculous has happened to you. Something supernatural has happened to you. I am here today to tell you, take off those old grave clothes and put on the character of Christ. Put on the new self. This is exactly what Paul is telling us, what the Spirit is telling us. And then it culminates with this understanding here of our new identity in the kingdom. Verse 11. Here, remember here it is again, here, there, above, below, earth, heaven. Here, meaning earth, there is not, excuse me, here meaning heaven, the things above, there is not Greek and Jew, or circumcised and uncircumcised, or barbarian and Scythian and, and slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. See, the problem when it comes to our identity we identify it down here on earth. And my gosh, how many identities do we have now in our nation? 
I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm this, I'm, I'm a part of this group. This is exactly what, what Paul is talking about because these various groups in verse 11, they were always at tension with one another, always fighting with one another. Today we would say young versus old, or, or black versus white versus brown, rich versus poor, Democrat versus Republican, whatever it is, that that is my group and that's your group. And my group is right and your group is wrong. And what happens when we do that, we start idolizing and we start demonizing. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards said that when he talks about his group, he, if you idolize your group, then you'll demonize the other group. We're good and you're bad. What Paul is doing here, listen, is inviting everyone to Jesus. Reminding us that the kingdom culture changes labels. It creates a oneness among the tribes, among the colors, among the nationalities, among the languages, even sworn enemies. See, only the gospel, Highland, can do that. Repenting of sin and believing on Christ pulls people together and it gives us one identity. What is that identity? We are in Christ. Into verse 11, Christ is all and in all. So your identity is in Christ. Your hope is in Christ. Your righteousness is in Christ. Your eternity is in Christ. Your joy is in Christ. Your citizenship is in Christ. Your all is in Christ. And here's what happens, last point, and we're landing this plane. When we get our identity from above and not below, Jesus becomes the center. And with Jesus as the center, all peoples and all groups all labels are invited to repent and believe and gather around him. Then this becomes our identity, not the labels of this earth, but the one title in Christ that comes from above. And the church is the beginning place of the kingdom of God where everyone is invited to come and let Jesus change them. Would you stand with me, please? And let's pray together. God, by your grace, would you help us to be heaven people now? Kingdom culture people now. God, we look at all these promises that, that we are in Christ, that Christ is all. That our lives are hidden with Christ in God that we have access to the one who is seated in the preeminent place. We can come to Christ. He, he is enough. He is our all. We can come before that throne. God, we are grateful that we don't have to wait for kingdom life one day. We don't have to wait for heaven one day, but we can live as heaven people right now. We live in the kingdom of God right now as your daughters and your sons. And that changes everything. So we pray together as your people in the name of Christ. And now we sing together as your people in the name of Christ. We sing this truth. In Christ we pray and believe.